This week, we are talking to Lieutenant Colonel Dan Mitchell, uh, Battalion Commander for the U.S. Army Raleigh Recruiting Battalion. Uh, he's going to be sitting with us talking about uh, both his history personally and, uh, and with Softleet and about all the opportunities that are offered and, uh, and the best way to join the Army for everyone who has questions because we get a lot of questions about that at Softleet. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Softly Die Living podcast. This week we have Dan Mitchell, Lieutenant Colonel, in the U.S. Army, genuine Special Forces Green Beret, gracing us with his presence. Dan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, our pleasure, man. Uh, Dan actually is, uh, he and I go back all the way to high school, and I think... Junior yeah. high, I think. Yeah, junior high. Yeah, that's right. Did you guys Long go to formal time. together? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> we didn't go to formal together, but uh, we did forge a lot of research together for uh, a few classes in high school. I, I like to consider <laughs> that like creative. Creative. Already starting off. Like it's really creative. Uh, creative research. Creative research. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're past the whatever statute of limitations. We're definitely early, younger than 18 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I like the, the, <laughs> the technical clarification. Uh, well, Dan is, is also, if you read the, the very first article that Softly put out, and we talk about the whole reason that you're training is to pick up your buddy and put him on your back. That is a quote from Dan. Dan and I were sitting in your living room talking about yeah. fitness and how strong you needed to be to actually be in a team and... Yeah, I remember that conversation. Um, I think uh, we were all down here for deer hunting, and we'd come back at the end of the day, and you guys were kind of chatting about stuff. And Dan, you were actually, I think you were talking about how like how much your weight had fluctuated throughout your career in the army, and you know how you had been much heavier um, and presumably stronger when uh, when you were a captain on. You know, with your ODA and the reasoning behind that, you know, wanting to be prepared to pick up like the heaviest guy on your team. Indeed, yeah. You know, and you're not uh, naturally like a huge guy. Yeah, so. I'm on the lower end of average. <laughs> yeah, so having uh, having large guys on your team that are counting on you for uh, in, in tough situations, um, you have to be physically fit, physically ready. You have to be strong. You have to have stamina. You have to be be able to to perform you know in a very functional fitness kind of way when the time comes and if if you're not ready you know it's if you got a guy that's 225 pounds over six foot tall and he's wearing 80 pounds of equipment that's a heavy lift for a dude that's 5'8 175 so you know you gotta be you gotta be ready for that type of stuff yeah um so if we can go back you know just kind of get a little bit of background kind of get inside the mind of Dan Mitchell. Um, you know, you decided to join the Army, you know, before September 11th, kind of, you know, in this period that I remember is kind of this uh, 
for most people, like, you know, this super false sense of security of, hey, we just rolled through Iraq in two weeks and, like, we can do anything and we'll never be at war again. Um, you know, everything is going to be peace forever. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, what was kind of what was, what was your motivation? What was your thought process behind wanting to go to West Point and joining the Army? Yeah, so um, kind of start at the beginning or put first things first. Uh, you know, I, I joined the Army originally. You know, we, we came from a, an area in high school where military service was not common. Yeah, frankly, and in, uh, in the in the recruiting world, we call that a not propense environment or non propense environment. You know, where there's not a lot of military service. There's not. It's not that there aren't patriots there. It's just that people aren't signing up to serve. And so we have a friend who his father was a captain in the navy, in the naval reserves, and he had from the time he was six years old, was said, "I'm going to go to the naval academy." And he was a good buddy of ours, and I was talking to him about, you know, engineering schools and stuff like that, because I wanted to be like my uncle. He was an engineer. You know, I was looking into engineering as we started doing the college search. He said, hey, how do you feel about serving your country, being in the Army? I said, well, I, you know, I, I can go that way, right? And so uh, I looked into it. He, he turned me on to, to go into West Point in the U.S. Military Academy. And so, you know, I, I looked at it, and it's a great engineering school, been around for a couple hundred years. Went and visited and just fell in love with the place um, for a couple of reasons. Uh, great engineering school, great location, just kind of the, the look of the place was just awe-inspiring. Uh, right there on the Hudson River, all the old facades of the buildings and everything like that. I mean, it looked like a, a, an institution that you wanted to, to be from. Um, but really, when you start digging into it, you see all the leaders that matriculated from there. Leaders like Eisenhower and MacArthur and, you know, just the who's who list of our, our national leaders throughout, throughout our country's history have in some way um, been touched by West Point, been touched by the military. So that was present in your mind at, you know, 17 years old. Were you like a history buff back then or, you know, most 17-year-old no, kids, I don't think. You go and visit there and it's just like the, okay. you have the statues and you start hearing about who's come from there and it's just – is awe-inspiring. We actually had an, another friend in high school whose father was a 1976 graduate of West Point, and so I got a chance to talk with him, and he kind of gave, you? yeah. And right. so he gave his his father gave me kind of the lowdown on it's going to be tough, buddy. You know they're going to they're going to push you to the limits, and the, it's designed to push you over what you are able to handle, so that you have to learn to prioritize, you have to learn to perform under stress. And uh, he was right. Uh, so, you know, I fell in love with it, and I was like, this is the place I got to be. It's just something that just felt right. And so, uh, you know, I applied there, and it took a little bit, but uh, I got there. Um, definitely wasn't, like, first, ad you know, early admission acceptance or whatever. It actually kind of was uh, a little bit later, uh, kind of second string, if you will. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, but I got in, I got there, and it was... It was the challenge I was looking for, and uh, we could probably go for days on some of the, the dumb things that we did in high school, but it, I, I am convinced that uh, if I hadn't had that discipline and that structure uh, that was there, I don't know that I would have made better choices in other, in other school. And I might have, you know, been, some, been some, taken some really bad paths and fell out of school or whatever, just kind of going wild, right? So. Basically, the path that I took. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not 
Maybe a little not more extreme. Yeah. Right. Not quite that bad. No. <laughs> it would have uh, been even worse than Aaron. <laughs> so, you know, I, and while I was there, learning kind of the work ethic and, and getting forged from civilian into a soldier and then a soldier into a, to an officer was just, um, you know, it, it chafes a little bit. It rubs your your edges off. And in some regards, it, it carves others into you. And, uh, you know, when I, I graduated, you know, I'd, I'd gone in with the intentions of being an engineer, and I graduated with an engineering degree, because everybody does from the place, but I'd actually studied engineering and not French, and then gotten an engineering degree with a French major. But uh, I then commissioned in the infantry, because while I was there, I just, I fell in love with soldiering. It was just awesome, you know, and especially the leadership aspect of it. So I was like, the infantry is the place. I mean, that is like... That is face-to-face -face leadership. That is like working with troops and, and leading small units and, and doing those things where um, you're, you're kind of on the front lines. And it, it was the challenge of it, right? You know, young and hungry, it, you want to test yourself. You want to be tested. And so it's like, this is the place I got to go. Uh, and I spent some time in the infantry. Uh, but while I was at West Point, I also had an opportunity to do some training with some, uh, some special forces. NCOs and that was awe-inspiring. I mean, those guys really Great hair, like really good hair. Is that what you really good hair? <laughs> kind of like you. Yeah, kind of like you. Uh, so, you know, um, kind of caught the special forces bug. And when I got the opportunity to apply special forces, I, I went special forces and became a uh, special forces officer, special forces team leader. Did the whole pipeline. So, so just for a frame of reference, how old were you when you did like SFAS and then Q course? Yeah, so I, uh, to take a step back, I had my parents sign the waiver mm. so that I could join the Army at 17. Indeed, 18th birthday while at uh, basically basic training at West Point there. And then uh, when I, I commissioned at 21 into the infantry, and then I think I was... 24, 25 years old when I went, went into SF. You'd okay. already gone through ranger school, right? I'd gone to ranger school right after, right after uh, finishing my infantry officer basic course. Went to ranger school. I'd done airborne and uh, then a couple other schools. Got some platoons and uh, you know had some opportunities to do some some basic leadership and, and learning what was going on in terms of uh, leading soldiers under the mentorship of some, some great NCOs and, um, you know, some great peers and everything. But uh, Special Forces just felt right, just felt like where I should be. And uh, part of that was what really appealed to me was the creative aspect of it, the ability to, to think your way through problems and for it to be, if this is what, you know, you have a problem, figure out the solution and make it happen. Nobody else is coming, right? You know, you might be the only 12 people in a country on the other side of the planet, and you have a comms window that you have to have to execute, and you know, you you, you learn some combo methods that are not uh, not common today outside the ham radio operator uh, community, and uh, sometimes you don't have satellite radio or satellite uh, link-ups and stuff like that. Pretty common, but not always. And so just kind of the self-sufficiency of it and the, the working with indigenous forces, working with host nations, uh, you know, what would be to us foreign forces, to help them with what the, the, the soft motto is, which is free the oppressed. You know, it's their country. 
let's help them to make it a better place. And so, you know, that really appealed to me as opposed to once we started getting into the uh, into the wars and deploying tens of thousands of troops to places, you know, like my team could lead a, a battalion of indigenous forces and replace, you know, a battalion of U.S. forces. Maybe not in the exact same capability, but they would be there and they'd be, you know, fighting for their own, for their own country with, with a passion that, you know, we, we could help them with. And so that really appealed to me. And so I've had several opportunities deployed in the Middle East, South Asia, uh, in various capacities, leading serve troops at, at different levels. And then um, before my current assignment, I, I did a tour at the Pentagon and got to see kind of the, the corporate level of uh, the military and, and get that, that taste of the political policy strategic side of things that I'd always wondered about in terms of why are these decisions being made and why does these decisions take the time it does. And you know, being able to see all those factors was, was really an education that, that kind of opened up my scope of view. It was awesome. I mean, it was it was it was amazing learning opportunity. And uh, did you leave more up. patient and less frustrated with you know policy taking so long to get enacted or changes or you know did it alter your perception to a point that you were more comfortable and okay with kind of that slow rudder steer? Uh, it certainly altered my perception of all of it. You know, and uh, kind of taken into. To, to account all the different factors that we typically don't in the military. Right. You know, the, the Army exists to fight and win our nation's wars. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. Yep. You know, and the Army offers uh, kids these days a ton of benefits, ton of educational benefits, ton of benefits once you get out of the military. Uh, and so, you know, we can talk about some of that. But uh, at the heart of it, the Army is here to fight and win our nation's wars. And, you know, when the rubber meets the road, people look to America to help the world, right? And when things really hit the fan, we're looking for the Army to be there to help, whether it's a conflict or whether it's disaster relief or whether it's just that team that makes a difference in the world. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd happily put the Army up in a, in a test over the last 241 years of the Army's history of organizations that, that have done more for democracy and helping people worldwide and you know I know there's probably a lot of politically charged opinions about that as, to, but, as uh, opposed to other entities of the government you're putting DOD writ large or the army as a whole well I'm kind of partial to the army yeah <laughs> so you know but uh, the army the army is a team that makes a difference and right. so it, it, it really it's it's a great thing to be a part of and have that camaraderie and you know we have several several folks with military experience around and uh, it's uh, you know I'm sure we, we have the inner service battles on Navy or Marines or Army or Air Force well, or who does more. Scope. But, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of times people forget how much humanitarian aid the DOD does as a whole, probably more humanitarian aid missions than combat missions. I don't know what the numbers would be on that, but whether it's the Navy, the Air Force, the Army or the Marine Corps, they're going out and helping people in these disasters, typically first, before anybody else, before nonprofits get there, before other government agencies get there. They're sending people in not just to do security and walk around with guns, but to hand out food, yeah. deal with water, whatever the issues are. A lot of people say that, you know, like the military is inefficient and stuff like that, but I think that just... Well, that's goes, true. Eh, it depends on what context, right? Um, but I think that goes to show 
in context that the military is super efficient because they're able to deploy no notice and actually go out and you know serve in those missions and they're right. always usually the first ones there because yeah a absolutely. government entity besides the military can't react that quickly and there's there's people out there doing heroes work that are not part of the military oh, 100%. they're either part of nonprofits, charities other elements of the government doing heroes work and yep. amazing stuff right you hear about the people doing you know being in countries where i, I, I kind of raise my eyebrow like you went there Without a gun, right? It's just that's, far less people. Wow, it's, it's that's scary. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, um, people, like you're saying, the the military can be called upon to figure it out. We're going to win. We're coming to win. We're coming to succeed. We're coming to excel. We get a mission, and we're we're not about failing. We're about winning. And so, if it's humanitarian aid, we're going to break that down with the tools that we have available in it. You know, we're here, like I said, we're here to fight and win our nation's wars, but then we get given a mission that isn't exactly in that wheelhouse. We're going to figure it out. We're going to, as a team, bond together and figure out how to do the best we can at that mission. I mean, that's just a simple fact. And then I would encourage people to take a, take a look at, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd call this a, a shameless book plug or what, but uh, Elliot Cohn wrote a book called The Big Stick. And it talks about basically the advantage and the limits of, of military power and how it augments the other levels of national power. Very interesting book. You should pick it up because without military power, those other, those other aspects of, of power suffer. And so I'm not saying military is a solution to everything, but it enables stuff like diplomacy. It enables stuff like economic power. It enables you know, all of those other elements of power that allow America to to be a leader in the world. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so recently you took a new job in the Army. Um, Indeed. You, yeah, you left the Pentagon, and this is a pretty, like a big departure from what you've been doing. Most of your career, you know, as you just told us, was, you know, with special forces or at least working within special operations, uh, um, you know, either directly with soldiers or then more kind of at the administrative level. Indeed. Um, yep. And recently, you got promoted, and you are now a battalion commander. Indeed. Um, yep. Of the Raleigh Recruiting Battalion, is that correct? Yes. So I uh, I recently uh, took command of a U.S. Army Recruiting Battalion for the state of North Carolina, based in, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so I was told to step out of the shadows. Direct quote, quite literally, you're going to step out of the shadows and. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna be be that bridge over the civil military divide. You're gonna talk to the American people. You're gonna recruit um, qualified Americans to serve in serve in the army and preserve the nation's strength. And so it, it has already been an education. I mean, it's something I hadn't really ever thought about and hadn't hadn't really uh, signed up in the military to do. But uh, you know, in in the past few weeks to a month it has just been it has been awe-inspiring to see both uh, the highs and the lows of it um, you know most significantly uh, everybody America is very supportive of the military military and the army have just a tremendous about support everywhere you go in the military uh, you know you run across civilians when you're in uniform just hitting the grocery store or whatever and everybody is very much like thank you for your service and everything and it's it's amazing to see that level of support that 
say the Vietnam generation didn't have. Well, so know? now part of work is you're in a uniform most of your day. Pretty much all day. about. Indeed. With the civilian populace, which is something new, I'm sure. An army ambassador, if you will. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, it, while everybody, while most of America is very supportive of the military, most of America doesn't know anything about the military. So as a, as a function of base relocations and closures and, you know, the wars and, and, and all those things and, uh, you know, smaller, more effective military, things of that nature, most Americans don't have an opportunity to have a face-to-face relationship with anybody in the service. And so it, it's kind of this, this strange thing that everybody wants to support and uh, really has a, has, a, has a good heart on it, but they just don't know much about it. And so, you know, just kind of some, some basic statistics. Like when we were kids, uh, like 40% of the people who joined the military had some sort of key influencer in their life that had been in the service, either in, you know, Desert Storm, you know, grandparents in World War II, somebody served in Vietnam, somebody that you had, had had military service and would, you know, you could ask questions to or they could talk about their, you know, their old war stories or whatever, right? That's down to about 16% these days just as a function of a smaller military and smaller community of veterans out there. And veterans, in many, in many respects, aren't kind of telling their story. And I so- would, I would think that lane is getting narrower too, right? Like you probably have more, more families where lots of people in the family, you know, through like vertical absolutely. generations yeah. have served, but not necessarily, you know, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, my, my grandfather or my, you know, my uncle or, my uncle-in-law or second cousin or yeah, whatever. Yeah, the catchy, um, the catchy term is it's becoming a family business. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if most businesses become family businesses because you, you, you talk to those families where they got like three generations of lawyers or doctors or, you know, the, the pizza guy or whatever it is, you know, that gets passed down generation to generation. But the truth is it's 79% of our recruits. So 80, about four-fifths of our recruits have a family member in the military. So, you know, like... Does that make it easier in recruiting as far as finding not only qualified individuals, but individuals who would be interested in service? There's, there's certainly a, a greater interest around current military bases. And so in North Carolina, we have Fort Bragg, we have Camp Lejeune, Cherry Point, Seymour Johnson. I mean, there's a, there's a ton of military bases in North Carolina. And so from Army, Marines, Air Force, uh, you got Norfolk, which Norfolk has, has both Navy and Coast Guard. And so there is these pockets of people who know about the military, but you get 45 miles outside of that, and it's people are like, the, the what? what are, you're in uniform. What is that? Who are you guys, Army? You know, so it's kind of confusing. Um, in America, about 7% of the people of, of the population of America served, has served. That's people who are in and have gotten out. 1% of the population is serving. 1% of the, of the population currently serves. So, um, what, without, what was the percentage again of, of veterans, people who had served? About 7%. 7%. 7%. Okay. And so, um, 50% of our recruits uh, nationwide come from seven states, of which North Carolina is one. So, California, Texas, Florida, Georgia, North, New York, North Carolina, and Illinois. Fifth, seven states are providing 50% of the Army. It's wild. Why do you think that is? <clears throat> and I, I want to go further because I know this is a conversation that you and I have had 
previously, um, and this might be like a bigger topic than the podcast time would allow, but um, you know, one of the things I think that's really interesting is you know, when you look at American history, a lot of the current military is recruiting from you know, the South, which is basically you know, from the, going back to the Civil War, you know, lost to the Union, right? And yet, <clears throat> essentially, that's... Some people that's, in the South might take issue with that. Right. Um, well, hey, man. We're not Aaron's from the gonna South. Aaron's going to get punched but, in the face know. as soon as he leaves the building. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel like there's like always a 75% chance of that happening, no matter what. So maybe just up it a little bit more. Um, no, but I think, seriously, it's, it's interesting that the South does provide such a yeah. disproportionate... Yeah number of you know candidates or you know people serving in the military you know, why do you think that is the case um there's certainly a a, a patriotic um vein running through running through the south uh which which isn't to say that the rest of the country isn't isn't patriots but a lot of our military bases are in the southeast of the country i mean there's some spread in other parts of the country but at least for the army there, there's a good density of military bases in the southeast of the country. So your your knowledge and familiarity with the military is more you're more likely to have some sort of knowledge of that. And then when veterans get out, they tend to stay near a military base, um, you know, so they can make use of the of of their VA VA benefits right. and things like that. And so you know. You, it's kind of that uh, that community around the bases, but you know, I, I am unaware of exactly why that would be. But it's uh, it it is kind of a, a phenomenon that's going on, and so. Um, well, it's a numerical correlation, right? If eighty percent of your qualified applicants or people who join the military have a familial tie to the military, and veterans get out and stick near a military base, those military bases are based more densely in the South. Yeah. You know, it's pretty easy to draw the correlation. Yeah. We're we're from the heartland, right, Midwest, and so uh, a lot of there's a lot of patriots in the heartland, but there's not a lot of military bases in the heartland. I mean, there's some sporadic ones there, but it, you know, not a whole lot, and so you don't see a lot of. Uh, I mean, you have Illinois producing, but uh, it, it, there's not a whole lot. Even so, man. I mean, we grew up really close to Great Lakes, and I mean, it was still you know, kind of mentally, you know, millions of miles away. Yeah. <clears throat> in fact, I think the first time I even knew that it was there was when we basically went up to, like, use Joe's dad's boat, <laughs> you know. Um, and uh, and that was actually, you know, a pretty interesting experience, you know, just yeah. driving on the base. Yeah. A um, bunch of punk kids in a Camaro. Everyone's saluting the car as we drove through. Yeah. But uh, I think I think there's also a couple of other misperceptions. Um, one of the that contribute to the the, the thoughts about should I, should I let my son or daughter join the military, and one is that you have to choose the army or college, right? You can't do both. You can't choose. You can't go into the army or go and go to college, and that's that's patently not true. We have a ton of educational benefits, and and frankly, the the army wants soldiers to get a college degree otherwise you will not get promoted at a certain point it, it becomes a requirement for continuing to rise through the ranks 
and there's tuition assistance and you know you get the post 9-11 GI Bill and you get um, some of these other programs that I, I'm happy to talk about that that help um, help kids to get that college education while they're serving um, the, the other thing I'll point out is that the Army is the last resort right it's just this big mass uh, collection of, of people's last option if they didn't get into college and they don't know what to do with their life then you know you go there well and since when you say the army you mean you really mean like the service like military service or the army specifically yeah or? i mean uh the military kind of in general and the right. army specifically okay right so um i always thought the marine corps was the last resort like everybody else wouldn't take you because you're a felon and you're, marine you're corps the few like, the you're proud. not a felon you're the <laughs> we few. got you bud <laughs> marines are the few the proud you know, the Army is kind of like that, that huge organization where, um, you know, right. it, it's, your, it's your last resort. Hey, you either need to get a job or go in the Army, but you're getting out of my house kind of thing, right? So, uh, and that's, that's simply not true because the law was passed in 1981, 1981 that uh, kind of coming on the heels of the hollow military coming out of the 70s and stuff that where Congress dictated, hey, there's certain quality marks, there's certain like standards that we are going to right. recruit people in the military because this is a difficult field, very technological field these days. Um, and because of those, those requirements, only three in 10 Americans qualify for military service. Three in 10. And, and that's Americans of age or is, is age factoring uh, of, the, as well? of the, of the, um, you know, age, age appropriate, individuals, appropriate individuals pool. of the potential pool. Wow. Only three in 10 qualify because of disqualifications for physical, mental, or uh, past indiscretions that might be captured in just moral decisions with your life. And so, you know... And you, when you say that, you mean like you have a criminal background, typically. Yeah, you might have yeah. a, a criminal background that we can't get past or uh, something of that sort, yeah. Which is well, like... <clears throat> excuse me, when I heard that earlier, I was like, just like shocked, right? Like Dan said that, and I was like, what? three out of 10, and then the way like, it was just couched to like, oh, the army is like a last resort, and then people were like, oh, well, my last step will be the army, and then you're like, oh, sh fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I might be one of the seven. It, it might not be. It might not be <laughs> yeah. if, you're, if you're making bad choices in high school. Uh, it may not be an option. And so, you, I mean, you gotta commit yourself to, to making good choices, right? Or at least yeah. not the worst well, choices. So do you know, how those numbers break down in terms of, you know, of those seven, you know, that's 70%, how much of that is physical, you know, mental, or, you know, as you said, past indiscretion? Yeah, so I, I've seen numbers on it at some point. Uh, I can't recall right now, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's, you guys have seen the studies where American, American kids are getting heavier, getting a little more obese and uh, things of that nature. I mean, I, it, it's hard to say exactly what it is, but you know, you, we've heard a lot about this. But you know, this becomes a national security issue, right? If only three in ten Americans qualify for military service, right? I mean, we need to preserve our nation's strength because, as we talked about before, uh, the world, America, counts on all the other elements of national power. Count on a strong military, and the world's a little dicey right now, right? So you know, it's important that we're able to to give. Our, our national command authority, that military, that quality military that they deserve. And, you know, uh, we got a couple other military, a few people in the room here that have served in the military. And, 
you know, when I joined, um, you know, 18, 22 years ago. Heels of the Great right? Depression. <laughs> it, this, this might come as a surprise, but we at, you know, when I took my first platoon, we had one computer for all 40 of us. There was no internet connection to it. That's it, still how the Marine Corps does it, by right. the way. Right. It was, yeah, <laughs> it, was a, it was a step up from the typewriter that we had had previously, right? And then everybody had to, to type their stuff in and use three and a half inch floppy disks to move files between the computer that you typed on and the one computer in the company that had a printer, right? And, you know, <laughs> the, like the radios. The radios is a, a thing that I, I, I look at. The radios we had when we got there were these, these um, oversized thin bricks that got, you know, a couple hundred yards of range, had turn dials on them for switching your frequency. Not, not digital, like analog turn dial kind of thing, right? And <laughs> terrible. Terrible. You could barely talk from here to the end of this building, right? The Germans it, had the code if it's to it open, already. <laughs> if it's open. It was like almost 1970s technology, right, that we were still using. Today, the, the radios are so complicated, you need a computer to program your individual radio. And that radio can probably talk. If I, if I had turned to my combo guy when I was on the team and said, I want to talk to the International Space Station, I have every confidence that my communication specialist on my team could have made that happen. Because I also saw him take that same radio and link it to the UAV feed to download video feed into my headquarters, just kind of on a like, huh, let me see if I can do this. And, and so our, in our team's UAV that we had, so we 12-man team, we had a UAV, right? Yep. Yeah, STEM, you know, I mean, we're, and this was 10 years ago, right? He, he's linking that up through the basic individual radio that we would carry to push video feed between. I mean, and just think about that. And carrying that tough book. And what you're not telling people is you still had to carry 600 pounds of batteries yeah. to power it for a day. It'd be amazing to see some ba battery technology make some leaps forward because yeah. uh, it hasn't in a while and those things are heavy. Yeah. Well, um, switching gears just a little bit, I want to... You know, we get a lot of emails at Softly, a lot of questions from yeah. either people that are so. in high school, um, you know, or out of high school that are interested in joining the military, uh, especially people that want a future in the special operations field, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but don't really know, you know, what do I need to be doing to be preparing physically? Like, how do I, you know, how do I get the contract that I want to get? Who do I go to for a recruiter? Um, and even, you know, simple questions as far as like, you know, do I want to be a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret or, you know, like what's the, what's the direction Green that I want to go, right? You How be a long Green hair do you want? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess I have kind of a couple questions for you, like layered yeah. in, in this. One is, you know, what is the best route for these people to go to kind of start finding out this information? You know, what's your... What's your guidance for people that are interested, want to learn more, um, want to pursue that path? Um, but the other thing is a little bit more nuanced. I mean, one of the things that I remember you telling me about, again, like going back to your time as a captain on, on an A-team, was that basically like all of the guys on your team came from like kind of- Dicey. Dicey past, Dicey right? Dicey past, you know? yeah. And so, you know, specifically speaking to people I guess that, not 100% not of them, but there's a good portion of them that 
It's not like most most of the, the army. Guys, the army was a very good thing for them. Yeah. So as it was for us. You know, what would you tell to you know people that are motivated but maybe are on that kind of edge of 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 that fork in the road, you know, where it could go either way. You know, how how can they take that kind of like creative drive and you know turn it towards something positive? You know, what should they be looking for in the military? And why in the special operations field are those, you know, personality traits, you know, good? Yeah. What, you know, what can yeah. they do to pursue that? Yeah. So, uh, multi-layered answer, right? Yeah. Complex question gets multi-layers. Everything's multi. So, uh, let me very first... Organized. Let me I've been very impressed with the statistics so far. Yeah. Let's way. see the yeah. synergy between these answers. Yes. Hey. So, <laughs> let me... <laughs> you hate that word. I'll, I'll see if Let's I can be get a little facetious. I'll see if I can get granular in some <laughs> details too. Uh, so the first thing somebody who is potentially interested in military service should do is stay out of trouble. Number one, you got to qualify as one of those three and ten. So don't get caught, right? I mean, I guess that worked for you. Yeah. So <laughs> the uh, you know the the key there is you got to first qualify as one of those three and ten, and so. You have to be making good choices with your life in high school, okay? You got to hang out with the right people. You know if you're hanging out with people that are that are potentially getting you in trouble, right? So a lot of times your decision that you make leads you down a path like four or five decisions later. You've closed a door four or five decisions earlier that has put you in a situation where you're getting in trouble with the law or something like that. And you know that. You, if you look back, you know you made that decision at the time. Um, Second, you need to be physically fit. And third, you need to be educated. You need to, you need to learn. Because like I said, the military is a very technical field. Very, like at the individual level, you, I mean, computers are an everyday thing. You're going to learn Microsoft programs like nobody's business. You're going to have to use computers, and you're going to have an opportunity in whatever field you go in to learn something that would be considered STEM these days. So you need to make sure that you're, you're doing the right things at school. You need to make sure that you're hanging out with the right people, making good choices, staying out of trouble. And then you need to make sure that you are living a healthy lifestyle in terms of physical fitness, okay? Um, so from there, if you're interested in the military, you know, I, I would encourage people to get on GoArmy.com. And why is that? Uh, there are 150 career options in the military. And the Army is different from the other services in that we let you pick what your military occupational specialty would be. So you have to take a test called the ASVAB, uh, which will identify what your strengths and weaknesses are. And based on how you score on that test, we, we can determine what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are in terms of your aptitudes, traits, etc. Can and you retake that? I don't mean to butt in, but can, can a guy retake the ASVAB? Uh, there's a certain period of time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yes, yes, you can. I know once you have to, you, there's you a certain can, period of time that you have to wait and you have to, you have to do some retraining. Military is good on retraining, right? Oh yeah. So, um, but once you, once you have that score, we, we can produce a list of military occupational specialties or MOSs that you can qualify for. Right. And then you get to pick from that list in the army as opposed to being told, sign up and we'll tell you what you're going to do. Okay. So, and GoArmy.com has information about all those. It also has information about nine, the 
post 9-11 GI Bill and all the educational benefits and all kinds of any question you could possibly have GoArmy.com has information on that so then um, if you believe you're, if you're interested in in joining the military you know contact a recruiter to ask them what the options are or uh, you know when your school offers a chance to take the ASVAB take the take the test because it'll that's the test that produces those scores and so it kind of has a bad rap right and there's you only take the test if you're going to join the military it's actually so much more than that okay a lot of schools are out there a lot of uh, state superintendents are out there looking for how do we how do we uh, find pathways to success to make sure kids are career ready and college ready right and this test right here we have in the military we have a program called the ASVAB career exploration program on a website web base that school counselors or parents or even kids can use once you take the ASVAB and you have your scores you can get in there and it's amazing right so you get in there it says hey you may want to be an astronaut but you might not be good at good enough at math right so why don't we take a look in, in these fields so you might be better at um, you know whatever whatever it points you to and so that career exploration part of it you pick a couple of things that you've scored well on it it says hey you might be interested in doing these career fields right radiology tech or something okay and then from there you click on radiology tech and then it takes you to you know okay starting salary in these states you know state by state is um, whatever it is forty thousand dollars a year so it'll tell you what you would be making right and then it says well what do I need in order to qualify to do that job well it'll take you to a field that says you know what certifications do you need right do you need can you get qualified to do this with an associate's degree a bachelor's degree do you need a master's degree a doctorate you know do you need to go tech to school and get certain certifications whatever it'll lay all that out and then it'll give you schools that pr produce those certifications or degrees and what that costs and so you can you can plan a path out from I don't know what I want to do with my life I'm not quite sure because how many kids 16 17 years old really have a good idea of what they want to do no. I kind of I kind of put a shot in the dark and I've been in the military ever since but not not uh, not the usual thing right so um, you you can plan out a path from I don't know to hey this is how I'm gonna get there this is what I want to do how I'm gonna get there and how I'm gonna pay for it and in the army you know like I said we want you to get a college degree and so what's the minimum service obligation is there a two-year is it all four-year contract I believe it's two year right two now year. two to I think you can enlist for up to six years I mean it depends on MOS time right when you walk in and all that stuff so um, from there you know if it says hey you need a certain degree and it, it's linked to all the different MOS's too in all the services because the ASVAB is for the entire military right and so it'll say you know in the army we have radiological technicals these are these are the, that that specific MOS that you should ask about whatever um, the Army has partnered up with a company called Peterson's, which is a, a well-renowned name in test preparation for getting into college. Uh, and, and Peterson's fantastic company, right? And so they've produced this totally free program to everybody called March to Success. Like March, I'm marching, to the number two, success. And what it offers is seven free tests for the ACT prep test, seven free prep tests for the SAT. Uh, there's some STEM material in there, but when we when we have somebody getting back to your, can you take the ASVAB twice or 
um, you know, there's some pretests, and then, you know, if, if we need to increase your score so that we increase your options of what you can do, March to Success is the way to do it. And, you know, parents can get on there and be registered as a mentor and make sure the kids are, are, are going through and doing the program and taking it, or your recruiter can, or a school counselor, or somebody that cares, key influencer in your life, can be making sure you're staying on the path there. And uh, so, March to Success will help you increase your test scores so maybe you can get into college, right? Or get into a better college, or qualify for a degree, or qualify for a particular MOS, right? The ASVAB SEP will help you explore what careers you might be great at, right? What is your path to greatness? And from there, uh, for those that decide to enlist, we have what's called the, the Concurrent Admissions Program. Tons of schools across the nation, I don't know, maybe like thousands, uh, big name schools, a place like University of Alabama, which, you know, big, big names in the South, a lot of, lot of different schools, have signed up to be part of our con concurrent admissions program where, where the Army kind of makes a handshake between that kid who's considering college and has decided to make a commitment to the Army, make a handshake with them and those schools in the admissions program and help them develop a plan for how they're going to apply to the school and how they're going to um, you know pay for the school and things like that these schools have also signed up to uh, kind of adhere with the, the tuition assistance programs that the military offers and so the military will pay for college credits credit by credit there's educational centers on pretty much every military base out there where people can work on uh, earning their degree in whatever they want to earn it in and to self-develop themselves. And so, you know, we, we help you improve your test scores. We help you chart that path to success. We help you make a handshake with a school that you might want to go to that will help you all along the way on this. And then, uh, you know, we help you pay for it, either with tuition assistance uh, or the post-9-11 GI Bill. I mean, uh, the government's already paid for my education, but, um, you know, post-9-11 GI Bill, is something military service members can use to uh, give to their families. And so by joining the service, I have, um, it's easier for me to pay for my kids' college now, right? And so it's not just improving myself, it's improving the legacy of my family, right? And the Army has helped me do that. I mean, amazing. Solid pitch. Yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> right. The other thing is, like, the reason why would these schools want to do this handshake with military, with the military, with the army? Well, student veterans are more likely to graduate, have a higher GPA, and earn academically rigorous degrees because so, we love the challenge, right? We're here to win, and we love the challenge, you know. And so that that gets kind of inbred in you, in the military that you're 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 up for a fight, you're up for some discipline, right? You're gonna you're gonna push through it, and so and it's. And it's a you know it's going to get paid for. So um, after that, after you get out of the service, you well, know, so so these guys, let's say you you're going to go in the army, get accepted to University of Alabama. Are you doing that learning remote? Are you getting stationed so that you can go to school? How what's that shake out? Yeah, it, it's going to have to be remote. Yep. for a time, right? But once you get out, once you matriculate from the service, because not everybody stays in. Right. You serve two years, you serve six years, you serve 20, you serve 34 years, whatever Everybody it is, hey, you served your country, yep. and that is noble and honorable. And so, you know, those benefits that go with you, right? And so, you know, only like 12 or 18% of the people who ever sign up for the military make it a career. So the other uh, 78% or 88% 
go back to the communities where they came from. They right. go back to America. And they bring with them that discipline, that service mentality, that commitment to doing hard things. They come with a VA loan so they can buy a house or start a business. Um, and they're more likely to be a, a productive member of, of the communities where they're at. So uh, we also have this thing where we have these PAYS partners, which is Partnership for Youth Success. And what that is is a company has said, hey, I want to be a PAYS partner with, with the Army. So like Coca-Cola or Duke Energy or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Has said, hey, we recognize that military, that people who have served in the military have discipline and commitment. And we are, we are willing to offer them a face-to-face -face interview coming out. So is that enlisted as well as officers or? It's primarily enlisted. Okay. Yeah. So the, you know, you get the, uh, what's the value of a face-to-face -face interview? It's pretty high these days. You got to get through all the little wickets right. of the online. Did I put the right term in there in my resume application, blah, blah, blah. White this, words. This kind of cuts the shortcut around that, right? To some degree. I might be characterizing that a little, a little too glibly, but you know, it, there's a recognition a of the value of service the and you can get an interview and yeah. get that face to face and show them that you are committed and dedicated to, to being a productive member of that company. So what would you say to, cause this is, I know another question we get, you know, pretty frequently, um, or maybe frustration that we hear, you know, vented, um, is that someone who's decided, Hey, I definitely want, you know, like a, an 18 x-ray contract and I go talk to my recruiter and for whatever reason, you know, that's not available or, hey, you should do this other thing. Um, you know, if someone really knows the exact route that they, or at least they think they know the route they want to go, you know, but they're hitting kind of a roadblock in the recruitment process, you know, what's your advice to them as far as how to proceed from there? Well, it, <clears throat> it, it's going to depend on what is the reason why you're not getting offered that MOS. And if it's because your test scores aren't high enough, you need to get your test scores up. Uh, and until you do that, you know, there's not a whole lot we can do. The other factor is uh, when you enlist versus uh, making sure that in the next step of the process that there's training seats open for it. You know, there's only so many slots. We only need so many, say, medics in the Army or uh, radiological technicians or linguists, right? And so, um, you know, to some degree, you may have to wait for that training slot to open up before you're allowed to, to enlist in that. And then that's big brain stuff that's well above my level of how those things all come open and close. But you, you stay in touch with your recruiter. You make sure your test scores are high enough. And you, uh, you continue that dialogue with the recruiter to kind of get to that point to, hey, here's what you got. But it may be that there's something that you, are, you have greater interest in that you don't know anything about. Yeah. Right? Well, it could just be that harsh reality check. Your mom told you you could be whatever you want when you grow up, and the reality is I'm not going to be an astronaut because I suck at math and a whole bunch of other reasons. You can't do everything you want, right? So if it's just that brutal reality check, sometimes the Army might be the first time that kid got that, oh, well, you can't join the Army because you're a felon. Well, all right. Yeah, you it may out be. something else, right? You know what I mean? But there, there are things, you know, it's best to just stay in touch with the recruiter and have that continuing dialogue to be able to uh, work through and, and ask the why. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Right. And there may, there may be things that we can do, and there may be things that, by law, we are not uh, able to change. 
Sure. You know what I mean? And so uh, have an open mind because service in the, in the Army, um, you, you may not get the exact thing depending upon the exact MOS that you are, are looking for, but you may find that what you end up in is something that you're passionate about. Well, and you can change it, right? You're three years deep in the Army and you still want to be a Green Beret. You can retake yeah. the ASVAB at that point and go be whatever you want yeah. if yeah. you qualify. Yeah. <coughs> and so, uh, you know, I, the thing I like about Softly in terms of uh, what it offers with your strength and stamina programs, those are, those are two key aspects of being physically ready for the military, right? If you're just the, the giant, huge individual that can can lift you know combined weight across three three different lifts your your deadlift your bench and your uh your squat you can you can hit that 1500 pound mark but you can't run 50 meters or you can't run a half mile or two miles in any sort of time without like stopping and walking you i mean that's not you're not functional right and so softly kind of has that great uh has, has those different programs that you guys are going for but staying healthy I think in your podcast with, with David Delanave, you guys were commenting about this. He, he, he pointed out staying healthy and functional fitness, right? And so been a, a bunch of the, the scare me schools, right, where you get all the, the cool badges and the soft community and stuff like that. The, the things that get you through those tough times are, and even, even for something like basic, is number one, being physically fit and, you know, functionally fit. So strong enough to carry a load on your back for a period of time and the stamina to do it, you know, to kind of be moving all day long, right? But then also teamwork. And that's when people like, when they're in basic training or in some sort of hard school, you start clicking and things get a lot easier when you're a team player, right? So it, it, it helps you through those tough times, those, those comrades to your left and right. So, I mean, it, those, those are uh, two key aspects of something I, I would tell somebody who's interested in the service be fit and be a team player that's right it's I, just that easy i tell people not to suck and don't be a dick but it's basically <laughs> the same thing <laughs> the uh the officer version yeah the officer yeah version. so you know like be uh fit, be a team player don't suck and don't be a dick <laughs> the uh i read this book at one point called uh, four pillars of a man's heart um it's written by his pastor his name is Stu weber I'm Christian, I'm not putting that on anybody, but you know, that's part we, of who we I can am. We edit that out, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, he was a 5th Special Forces Group soldier in Vietnam who, um, you know, had some experiences there and decided he wanted to, to commit his, his life to God. But he wrote this book called Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. And he talks about, um, you know, the, those four things that you've got to keep in balance as a man. And I think these explain, in some degree, why a lot of people would, people, not just men, would join the military. And it says, you know, his, his four pillars are like a king pillar, a warrior pillar, a mentor pillar, and a friend pillar. And so the king pillar is to provide, to provide for your family, to provide for your loved ones. You know, uh, you'll, you'll meet people who join the military because they got a baby on the way. And they're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this, or I need to support my family, or, you know, those different kind of benefits and stuff like that. Um, the warrior pillar, those that want to challenge themselves, they want to defend the country, they want to protect their loved ones, you know, that's out there too. Uh, the mentor pillar, to teach 
it's kind of a key aspect of that. But, you know, scholar, wisdom, you join it for those college benefits, right? You're joining to better yourself, to learn something, to gain wisdom in your life and intelligence, right? And then the friend pillar was to connect, to be part of a community, part of a team. You know, I, most of the people who get out of the military are, are um, kind of get that cold bucket of water in the face of what they had in terms of camaraderie. And, you know, lessons throughout history are of why do soldiers fight? They fight for their comrades next to them. You know, when you're, when you're in the... In, in the thick of it, in, in some sort of country around the world, whatever, fighting, it, you're not sitting there about the strategic political implications of why am I in the Korangal Valley? You're like, hey, Brent and Aaron and, you know, Billy are all next to me, and, I, you know, I got to, I, I count I on them, they count on me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's team, it's comrades, it's people that you trust and depend on and that, you know, they are, they are as close as your family has ever been to you, right? And so you have that community, that comrade, that brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever, of, of, of having that uh, where you're not alone. You always have somebody by your side, you know? And I think all four of those aspects are offered by the military and kind of speak to people. And, uh, you know, it's it, um, something that I think is very powerful in terms of the military can provide those things or, or can facilitate that decision in your life to grab hold of your future and make the best of it. You know, pull yourself. We can we can be that helping hand that lifts you up and, and drives you forward and to, to help you on that path to success so that you're not kind of just flying with the winds of the world, you know, and kind of well, and drifting if you along. Maybe that's your thing. Maybe you want to drift along. But if you want to take take charge of your life and make something better like that's yeah but if it, what i was going to say is if you have goals and aspirations and dreams of let's say higher education or uh technical skills or whatever it is hey i want to go do this but you know that college is 30 grand a year or that trade school is 40 grand a year or whatever it is yeah you can bridge that gap pretty quickly with a stint in the, the army or navy or marine corps or air force Learn a skill, pick up some maturity. Yeah, get, you actually get paid. When and if, I it, joined if you're in one of those private paid. schools that has giant tuition that's coming, tu tuition bill that's coming due on you. Yeah, we have tuition repayment too. So <laughs> shameless but, plug. Shameless, <laughs> shameless plug. It's never maybe too maybe all of this is a shameless plug. But the, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think it offers great opportunities. You know what I mean? And the military, you know, my my army story, just being able to to make great friends and experience different things and have that authority and responsibility pushed on you as, as much as you can handle it um, has been awesome. And, you know, she got to be ready for it. Yeah. Well. So after this, what are you doing? Not podcast, but recruiting. Do you have? No idea. No idea. No idea. Two-year gig, three-year gig? It's a two-year gig. Two-year gig. Yeah. Okay. And then figure it out after that. How's and the transition been so far? Good. Yeah. Very impressed. I mean, it's. I didn't know what to expect, and it's it's been uh, it's been awesome. I'm gonna tee you up on this question, but uh, as a way to end the podcast, yeah. How do you think it is for you know the people that are working for you now? You know, having someone coming out of the special operations community, you know, to kind of lead a totally different type of team environment. Uh, so it's not all that unusual. Um, the guy I replaced was from the special operations community. The guy he replaced from special operations community. And so, um, you know, I, 
I think the Army has a, a, a program where they find out to try and match you at this level with what your aptitudes are. You may not understand it at the time, but um, it's it's spoken to me and, and having that opportunity to, to work with folks in a, across the state and communities and things like that has been has been pretty cool. Yeah, man. I think it sounds like it's going to be a good challenge for you. Yeah. Right, so. Love the challenge. Aaron, you have to tell the airport story. All right. I was going to not tell the airport story, but... Uh, <laughs> So, this is, man, this is a great way to end the podcast. Uh, is this where weeks, we get to the explicit part of the podcast? No, this is, this is not the explicit part. Two weeks Mixed ago, pants come off. I was on vacation with the family, That's and true. we were flying home out of uh, Philadelphia Air, International Airport. And, you know, I'm, I'm there with my wife and the kids, and we go to sit down a few minutes early for the flight. And my wife sits down, kids are like getting out their iPads, and the guy that comes sits directly behind them is a guy in uniform. And there's a guy who's sitting across from him, so they're just like one row behind us. Um, he's there with his daughters. And he starts striking up a conversation with the guy who's in uniform. Uh, you know, it's clear that the guy who wasn't in uniform was in the military. They start talking, and the guy who wasn't in uniform commented, you know, oh yeah, like, I live in North Carolina too. This guy who's in uniform was going back to Fort Bragg. The other guy was going back to the Raleigh area. And he was like, yeah, you know, I work in recruiting now, blah, blah. The guy in uniform was like, how do you like that? He was like, you know, yeah, it's like pretty good. Um, he's like, man, he's like, they just sent us another SF dude. <laughs> and, and I was like, man, like, do I take this guy's picture? Guilty. Do I, do I, you know, be like, oh, hey, do you know Dan Mitchell? Uh, yeah, he's a good friend of mine. And I was like, you know what? I'm not, uh, I'm not going to put the pressure on this dude who might be like a good guy <laughs> who's like traveling with his two daughters. But I could not relate the story to you because I thought uh, timing-wise, you know, it was, uh, was prescient. So That's funny. Um, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we transition leadership every year to two years, and so that's – it's disruptive, you know, that the, the, the team and the organization kind of has an inertia. So, uh, you know. He's, he, he didn't sound upset, but maybe frazzled would be a good way to put it. So There's always different personalities and stuff like that. And it takes a, there's a little adjustment period always. But, you know, it's what happens in the military. Sure. Everybody transitions. Everybody deals with uncertainty and overcomes it. And so, you know. Maybe I'll find out who that was. Right. <laughs> that guy's uh, career has some uncertainty now. <laughs> right. Uh, Dan, how can someone contact you or contact a, a recruiter? I'm, yeah, so. I'm assuming you don't want everyone contacting you uh, We'll attach your personal cell phone oh, that'd be great. to the podcast. That'd be great. Uh, you know, uh, probably the best way to, to contact my folks is to either just do a simple Google search for U.S. Army recruiting near me, right, or say, uh, get on Facebook and go to at Go Army Raleigh Battalion, all right? And, and my folks there that, that manage that Facebook site will be more than willing to help link you up with and answer your questions and get you connected to a recruiter, whether it's in North Carolina or whether it's somewhere else. I mean, we have we have a good network. Is and that, so That's all one word, Go Army Raleigh Battalion? Yeah, you know, if you kind of look up U.S. Army Recruiting Battalion Raleigh, North Carolina, like a you the know, Google will point you in that, the right direction. The the tagging being at Go Army Raleigh Battalion. Uh, cool. You'll you'll get a hold of us and uh, we'll help you grab that pathway to success. Thanks for joining us this morning. Really Thanks appreciate for the opportunity. it, man. Always it's awesome. good to catch up. We'll uh, we'll be seeing you soon. Great. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Take care.